0: Good morning, friends. It's a pleasure to have this opportunity to consider God's word with you today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray again for us briefly, and then we will begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would accomplish the purposes for which you sent your word, and that you would enable us with eyes of faith to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and on his glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, uh, today's sermon will be a bit different uh, from what we normally do here at CBC. Normally, I preach through a book of the Bible. We have been going through First Peter, but today is my final sermon at CBC Uh, I'm transitioning to a new role at a church in Tennessee in the new year, and so wanted to use our time today uh, to leave the members of CBC with some parting words, a final encouragement and instruction, uh, if you will. Uh, The one thing that has been central to my ministry, and that I hope that you'll make the mission of your life as a Christian. Uh, But before I share what that instruction is, I thought I would set up our time this morning with one of my favorite stories, which the members of this church will know very well. In 1952, a woman by the name of Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Island. and Florence was determined to become the first woman to swim to the shore of mainland California. She'd already become the first woman to swing the, swim the English Channel both ways. Now, the weather that day was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats that were accompanying her to provide her help if she needed And still, she swam for 15 hours. I, I, have any, anyone here ever swum for more than an hour? Raise your hand. Is John Backiel here? Okay, Matt. Call up. His, have you raised your hand if you swam for more than two hours at one time? Where are we going? Like three hours. Okay, it stops there. Well, Becky, well done. All right, but Florence swam for fifteen hours. At times during the later parts of that swim, she begged to be taken out of the water along the way. Her mother was in a boat alongside of her. Kept encouraging her, telling her she was close and that she could make it. But finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, Florence stopped swimming and was pulled out of the water. But shortly after she got into the boat, the thick fog parted and Florence realized that she was less than half a mile from shore. Oh, at a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Mm. Now, I heard that Christopher Yuan used this story in the Sunday school class last Sunday. I want to, I want to be very clear with all of the members of this church. Uh, I got that story first. I got it from Randy Alcorn's book on heaven before Chris did, I think. I'm just going to claim that I got it first. But the story is a great illustration of what I want to leave you all with, whether literally or figuratively. If Florence would have kept her eyes fixed on the shore, she would have made it. And if you're going to make it through the Christian life, you're going to need to make, if you're going to make it to heaven, you're going to need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. That's what my parting word is for each of you individually, and I'm not going to cry throughout this thing, I promise. That's what my parting word is for each of you individually and for you as a church. I'm thinking here of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the kids and teens, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. For the adults and elderly elderly saints, keep looking to Jesus. Everyone here, whether member or visitor, keep your gaze fixed on Jesus Christ. John Piper once said, "Herein lies the key to the Christian life. Not hard work for Jesus, not lots of labor for Jesus, but looking to Jesus." Over and over and over, and with the rest of our time, there are four different aspects of Jesus's life that I want to encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on. I want to encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus's perfect righteousness. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus's sacrificial death. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus's glorious resurrection and keep your eyes fixed on his certain return. to so first, friends, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus's perfect righteousness. You and I need to meditate regularly and remind ourselves of the fact that Jesus never sinned. What does Peter say? He committed no sin? and neither was deceit found in his mouth. What does Paul say? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Think about what John says. You know that he appeared to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. Or the author of Hebrews, he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life, and you and I, need to keep our eyes fixed on his perfect righteousness because his perfect life is what gave his death power to save. Right, we didn't just need someone to die on our behalf. We needed someone to perfectly keep God's law for us as well. We needed someone to succeed at every point that we failed. Someone who would choose righteousness in every situation that we chose rebellion someone who chose to obey God where we would choose to sin. In short, we needed someone who was perfect. Not almost perfect, not perfect some of the time, not perfect here and there, but perfect every second, every minute, every hour, every day. Perfect in thought, perfect in word, and perfect in deed. Perfect in private and perfect in Public. We needed someone who never failed, never strayed, never erred, and never sinned. Friends, as we read the Gospels, we're reading the story of how King Jesus trampled down our spiritual enemies and ultimately rescued us from bondage to sin through his perfect obedience to his Father's will. If he failed at just one point, one point, we would all still be dead in our sins and without hope in the world and under God's judgment. Just once, in the 1994 World Cup, Roberto Baggio, one of the greatest Italian soccer players ever, led the Italian team to the World Cup final against Brazil. Now, Baggio had played perfectly throughout that World Cup, so perfectly that Italian commentators were calling him the savior of Italy. And his perfect play continued in and through the finals until the game went to penalty kicks to decide the World Cup winner. Talk about pressure. And at the biggest moment of the biggest game, on the biggest stage, the savior of Italy who had played perfectly ran onto the field to take the decisive penalty kick of the game. If he makes it, Italy wins, and if he misses, Italy loses. And Baggio, the savior of Italy, missed the kick badly. He had been perfect until Italy needed him most, but when they needed him, he failed. Friends, that is not what Jesus is like. He never failed. He never missed the mark. He never shanked a kick. He never sinned. He lived roughly 12,045 days. He lived roughly 289,000 hours. He lived roughly 17,325,000 minutes, and not once during that time did he ever sin. In every conversation with neighbors, In every conversation with friends, in every confrontation with the religious authorities, on every journey through Galilee with his disciples, in every trial and period of suffering, from his earliest years at home with his parents, to his anguished cries in Gethsemane, and ultimately to the cross, Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father's will. And friends, you need to keep your eyes fixed on his perfect righteousness, because his righteousness gives rest to our souls. This is why Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You don't have to toil to earn God's favor. You don't have to do a bunch of spiritual things to get God to be pleased with you. Jesus Christ, by his perfect righteousness, has fully opened the way for you to enter into the Father's presence, and he shares that perfect righteousness with you. John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, famous Puritan, described the moment in his life when the righteousness of Christ and what it meant for him really really clicked and and, and how it worked out for him. This is what he said, one day as I was walking in the field, because that, that's what Puritans did, they, they walked in fields. I don't know the next time you're going to be walking in a field. Maybe it'll click for you at Lowe's or Home Depot or in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, but I just wanted to click for you. One day as I was walking in the field, these words fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. And I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness, so that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness, for my righteousness was in front of him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness is Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off. Now I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away so that from that time forward, those dreadful scriptures of God left off to trouble me. And I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. Friend, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, your righteousness is not in yourself. It is not your good attitude one day or your bad attitude the next day that makes you more or less righteous before the Lord Almighty. It is Jesus Christ himself and his righteousness is at God's right hand forever. More righteousness cannot be taken from you. Friends, fix your eyes on the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ seated at God's right hand. He says to you that in him you have Rest for your souls. Like a long day at work, right? You, you, you're on your feet all day, whether you're a teacher or a banker or you're in some other line of work, you're just working all day long, then you come home, maybe you have small kids, maybe you don't, but just working, cleaning up the home, getting people fed, getting people to bed, and then you finally sit down on the couch at the end of a long day and you know that feeling of just, oh, yes. Rest, I finally get to sit and rest. That is the rest. That that times one trillion is what Jesus gives to you and to your soul. Deep spiritual rest because you don't need to earn your way into God's presence. Jesus has paved the way by his perfect righteousness. Fix your eyes on his perfect righteousness. But his perfect righteousness doesn't just provide us rest. It also points the way to abundance. Jesus came that we might have life and have it in abundance. Certainly, that, that abundant life will be fully realized in the new heavens and new earth, but Jesus shows us that abundant life comes through obedience to God's will. Right? Humans today, at least in America, think that abundant life comes through self expression doing what I want to do, being who I want to be, living my truth, not letting anyone tell me who or what I should be. But Jesus says that life actually ends in destruction. Even though it promises obedience, it ends in abundance, it ends in destruction. And if we want to experience abundant life now, we need to give up living for ourselves and follow him. In that sense, his righteousness is a pattern for us to follow. Insofar as we follow his pattern, we'll also experience the peace, rest, and joy that comes from communion with God. So my kids love Art for Kids Hub. We got any other Art for Kids Hub fans here? Raise your hand. Yeah, love it. I love that channel. It's a, if you're not familiar, it's a channel on YouTube where a professional artist makes kid-friendly drawings and he invites kids to follow along. He goes slow throughout. He explains the steps and then he, he does them so that kids can follow along. He explains the steps of each drawing as he goes. And the more closely kids follow his pattern, the more skilled they become, the better their drawings are. In much the same way, the more closely we follow Jesus' pattern of righteousness, saying no to sin and yes to righteousness in all of the different scenarios we experience in life, the more we'll experience the abundance that Jesus came to bring. For the teens here, we've talked a lot about this over the last six years, and I just want to underscore it again. The world is hollering at you at every turn that true abundance is found in being true to yourself, expressing yourself, and following your desires. But those are cheap and really poor substitutes for the abundance that Jesus came to bring. I don't know if y'all have ever bought a knockoff brand of footwear, say. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. am not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. Looks like the real thing, but falls apart pretty quickly. Uh, I bought a knockoff pair of designer boots back in the day. They were the Clarks Desert Storm boots, but I didn't buy the Clarks. I bought like the Clocks or some, some brand like that, right? They, they were fresh, and they were like a third of the price of the actual Clarks. But within a few weeks, the sole of the shoe started to come off. That's the type of abundance the world offers. Looks good, less costly than following Jesus, I'll give it a try, oh snap, the soul fell off. I've gotten to watch so many of the teens go from children to on the verge of adulthood and as you enter into adulthood, you're gonna have so many cheap substitutes offered to you. You're gonna have so many cheap substitutes offered to you and in your humanity, they're gonna look good. Like take it from me, y'all know my story, I lived a life of cheap substitutes and it led to just tons of pain, tons of sorrow. Seek the abundance that is in Jesus Christ. It is harder, it is more costly, but it is way more glorious. Oh, friends, keep your eyes fixed on his perfect righteousness. Second, keep your eyes fixed on his sacrificial death. We should always keep the cross before us to remind us of the deadly seriousness of sin. Sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Throughout scripture, from Adam and Eve's sin, which brought about the death of an animal through which God covered their shame, to the offering of bulls, goats, lambs, and rams at the temple, God makes the deadly seriousness of sin plain to all, all of which culminates in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, where the deadly seriousness of sin is exposed in all of its heinousness. But here's the thing. It's not just sin in the abstract that brought about Jesus' death. It wasn't the idea of sins that Jesus was crucified for or humanity's sins in general, but our sins individually. Your sins and mine brought about his death. This is what Peter meant when he said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Reflecting on this, Martin Luther brought this point home with stinging clarity. You should believe and never doubt that you are in fact the one who killed Christ. Your sins did this to him. When you look at the nails being driven through his hands, firmly believe that it is your work. Do you see his crown of thorns? Those thorns are your wicked thoughts. As the disciples failed to keep watch with the Lord in Gethsemane, we too in sloth ignore him. As Judas betrayed him with a kiss, so in our thoughts, words, and deeds, we betray him daily. We reject him like Peter, wash our hands of him like Pilate. Call call for his death like the crowds and lead him out to Golgotha. We crucify him and hurl insults at him as he hangs dying on the cross. We kill God. And listen, I'm not saying this to you, I'm saying this to us, me included. We need to keep the cross before us. We need to keep, to to fix our eyes on Jesus' sacrificial death so that we're reminded regularly of the deadly seriousness of sin, right? Think of cancer and cancer treatments, right? You can often gauge the seriousness of cancer by the course of chemo that's prescribed, right? The prescription will tell you how bad it is. In the case of sin, our condition was so bad that the Son of God had to die on a cross to save us. Friends, don't mistake the seriousness of sin. Don't forget how deadly and serious that sin is. And that some of you may remember Timothy Treadwell. If the name doesn't ring a bell, you may remember him as the photographer guy who decided to live with grizzly bears. He was so familiar with the grizzlies in his particular region that he recognized them by sight and had pet names for them. Uh, he probably had some ridiculous idea in his head that the grizzlies actually liked him and thought of him as their owner, right? That he was safe around them. Then what happened to Timothy? I'm sure, it's not hard to guess. He was killed by a grizzly. As sure as spending time, enough time around a grizzly will get you killed, so will treating sin like a pet. Hence the famous line by John Owen be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If you think the sin in your life is not serious, fix your eyes on the cross and on the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Friends, I want to plead with you, if you have something that you're keeping in the dark in your life, I want to encourage you to not delay. Bring it out into the light today. Sharing it with other Christians who can help you in your fight, who can check in on you and challenge you to keep Putting sin to death. We want to keep putting sin to death because the cross shows us the deadly seriousness of sin. But we also want to keep our eyes fixed on the cross because it shows us unequivocally how much God loves us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. It's so easy to become so familiar with the scenes of the cross that it loses all of its power over our imagination. We, the very creatures God created to reflect his glory, rejected him, rebelled against him, and became his enemies. We loved the darkness. We hated the light. We worshiped things that were not God. We were enemies of God, lovers of iniquity, children of rebellion, slaves to sin. We didn't desire God, want God, pursue God, or seek God, and we were under God's judgment. Yet rather than leave us in our hopeless condition, God took on flesh, became a man lived the perfect life on our behalf, then allowed himself to be unjustly arrested, tried and condemned to death on a cross. And he did this to save the very people whose sins brought about his agonizing death in the first place. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Friends, there is simply no greater display of love that has ever been conceived or occurred in human history I'm sure, I'm confident that the members of this church understand the theology of the cross. I'm certain that you know that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead to save you from your sins, and it is good to know that and to understand that. But do you also know and live with an awareness of his undying love for you in the midst of your sinfulness? Do you have an experiential knowledge of the deep, deep love of Jesus? Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me is the current of God's love. Leading onward, leading homeward to his glorious rest above. Friends, look to the cross and see the undying love of a husband for his bride. Michael Reeves said that out of sheer and boundless love for his bride, he took her sicknesses upon himself with all the consequences of her sin. He took her ugliness that she might have his loveliness. Friends, fix your eyes on the cross on the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and see God's love poured out for you and me. Kids, I've loved being your pastor over the last six years. Getting to witness you all grow up right before my eyes has been amazing. I look back at pictures from when we first started as a church, when the church was first planted, and some of you were itty bitty babies, and some of you didn't even exist at all. But here you all, all grown up, growing up fast. I want you all to know how important you are to this church and to God. I've tried over the last six years to speak to you in every sermon. My wonderful wife will ask me every week before the sermon, before I preach it, what do you have for the kids this week to make sure I'm speaking to them? And I've hoped that what you've heard from me over the last six years is that you matter to God. You matter deeply to God. And you can experience God's love today by putting your faith in Jesus. Right? You don't have to wait until you get older to, to, to get older to follow Jesus. You can be forgiven and cleansed and made right with God today if you would put your trust in his son who loved you enough to die for you. Now, some of you may wonder if God would really love you because you recognize that you've disobeyed him. Maybe you hit your sibling. Maybe you lied to mom and dad or did something else you know you shouldn't do. Here's the thing. The cross shows you how much God loves you. He sent Jesus to die, to save you from those very sins. And you can be saved if you would believe in him today. One author said, Jesus does not love like us. We love until we're betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we're forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit, but Jesus loves to the end. And Jesus really has loved us to the end. And when you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus' sacrificial death, you can't help but grow in humility. If you want to put pride and arrogance and self-righteousness to death, look to the cross. There you'll see the deadly seriousness of your sins. For your sins, the Son of God was crucified. And there you'll see the fountain of God's love overflowing. For your salvation, the Son of God was crucified. Kids, if you, if you love watching bulldozers like I do, one of my favorite things is to watch a bulldozer demolish a structure, like just rams right into it and the whole thing collapses and tears it down. It just levels the structure. The cross is like a gigantic bulldozer that Jesus drives over our pride, right? We like to think really highly of ourselves. We like to boast in our goodness, our wisdom, our righteousness, but, but the cross levels our pride and shows us how costly our sins are. This is why we sang Jesus keep me near the cross, right? Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow over me. We sang that song at our covenant service back in 2018 because I wanted it to mark the character and personality of us as a church. That we would be a people who don't think a lot of ourselves but who think a lot of our savior. That be people would be marked by a cruciform humility, right? But that we'd also be filled with the joy of knowing God's love for us in the death of his son. And I praise God that that character and personality has marked our church. And I pray that it would continue until this church no longer exists or until Jesus returns. But it will only continue insofar as you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus's sacrificial death Third, I want you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus' glorious resurrection. Each and every day, as you start your day, you should seek to stand with the disciples at the entrance to the tomb and let the fresh amazement and joy of the angels' words wash over you. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for death to hold him. Friends, begin each new day hearing the words of the risen Jesus Christ. Behold, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I live forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And because Jesus holds the, key to, the keys to life, those whom he has set free are free indeed. Indeed. We may have been dead in trespasses and sins, but the Lord of life has called us out of our spiritual tomb and made us new creations, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, keep your eyes fixed on the glorious resurrection because the empty tomb and the risen Christ remind us that a new power is at work within us you're no longer a slave to the passions of your flesh. They no longer have power over you, right? You you have died together with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life you now live in the body, you live by faith in the son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you, right? And that frees us from all condemnation, right? For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that God accepted his sacrifice and proves that all who put their trust in him will be given a new heart and a new power. They will be made new creations in Christ and that resurrection power is yours to live in each and every day. You no longer need to be controlled by things like fear, jealousy, or discontentment. You no longer need to be governed by anger, Bitterness or lust, you no longer need to give in to lying, hatred, drunkenness, or idolatry because you have been washed, cleansed, and raised from the dead. And because of that, we should lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, right? Running the endurance with our eyes fixed on Jesus and fixed on his glorious resurrection. Friends, I wonder what sins are you allowing to entangle you and trip you up today that Jesus has set you free from? What sin struggles are you holding on to that Jesus says you've been set free from? Are you holding on to trying to please others? Are you living for the approval of others or holding on to lust and its disastrous effects? Are you making room for a critical spirit in your life even though Christ has cleansed your house? I don't want you to imagine coming across someone who had a ball and chain attached to their foot and you have the key. You use the key and you set them free. They thank you and they rejoice. And then they proceed to pick up the ball and chain and carry it with them. You're like, no, that's what I took it off of you for so that you no longer had to carry that weight. Right? That's a picture of us when we choose to continue to hold on to the very sins that Jesus set us free from. There's a tragic picture of this from the ill-fated Franklin Expedition in 1845. They sailed from England, they were trying to find passage across the Arctic Ocean, the ship got stuck in the ice and lots of terrible things happened as a result. Some small groups fled the boat looking for safety but it was a vast kingdom of ice that they were entering out into. One of those groups was a group of two officers who pulled a large sled more than 65 miles across the treacherous ice before dying. When rescuers found their bodies, They discovered that the men had filled their sled with valuable items from the ship. Like, what were you going to do with those? You're in the Arctic Ocean. Those things no longer have value. Where were you dragging them to? It has absolutely no value anymore, and it's going to kill you. In the same way, friends, what are you doing dragging around sins that Christ has set you free from? Lay those sins aside. Remove them from your life. Keep them from tripping you up and dragging you down. And because of his glorious resurrection, we also need to keep our eyes fixed on the fact that evil will not win. Darkness will not prevail. The wars, famines, plagues, injustice, hatred, and terrible evil that has plagued mankind will not last forever Beyond the shadow of evil in our world lies the imperishable glory of ultimate resurrection in the presence of God, and that enables us to live with hope in the midst of a fallen world. There's there's a passage in the Lord of the Rings that captures this reality so well. Samwise and Frodo, they're crossing Mordor on their way to destroy the ring. They were on the verge of collapse, right? weary from the darkness of Mordor and from the constant toiling. They stopped to rest for the night, and before drifting off to sleep, Sam looks up. There, peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor high in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart. As he looked up out of the forsaken land, hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Friends, Jesus' glorious resurrection shows us that there is light and high beauty forever beyond the shadow of evil in this world. And we've been touched by that shadow as a congregation, have we not? How many of us have experienced pain, heartache, and loss over the last six years. Some of you have even recently lost loved ones and are experiencing that grief now. Others have experienced trials of different kinds that are native to a fallen world. Yet even as we experience the grief and sorrow that are common in a fallen world, we can also live with hope and the defiant joy that in the, midst of it, in the midst of it, because the resurrection proves that there is light and high beauty forever beyond the reach of sin. Think even of Tom Bennett, Bonnie Holland, members who we've lost over the last six years, Tom to pancreatic cancer, Bonnie to lymphoma. We mourn their passing and will mourn the inevitable passing of members of this church in the years to come. But when grief and sorrow strikes, we can be comforted by the hope that we haven't said goodbye to them. Let's see you later. Because even though they're no longer with us, they're present with the Lord, enjoying that light and high beauty of God's glorious presence guaranteed to all who've put their trust in Christ. And we'll see them again when the resurrected glorious Lord comes in glory to gather his people to be with him where he is, which brings us to our fourth and final point. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus's certain return. What did Jesus say? I go to prepare up a place for you and if I go, I will come back and take you to be with me. Paul in First Thessalonians, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's a story about General General Douglas MacArthur from World War II and his commitment to keep his promises. During World War II, he was forced to leave the Philippines due to the Axis powers advancing. Deeply disappointed, he issued a statement to the press in which he promised his men and the people of the Philippines, "I shall return." The promise would become his mantra during the next two and a half years, and he would repeat it often in public appearances. Then, on October 20th, 1944, a few hours after his troops landed. MacArthur waded ashore onto the Philippine island of late. That day, he made a radio broadcast in which he declared, People of the Philippines, I have returned. Friends, how much more certain can we be that Jesus is coming back? He has promised to return and he never breaks his promises. And when he returns, we will see him and be made like him because we will see him. As he is. What are some things that you can't wait to see? I'll share a couple of mine. I can't wait to see the Patriots become a good NFL team again. More importantly, I can't wait to see my kids grow up. Jack and Knox and Grace and Caroline who are in children's ministry. My boys becoming strong men in the Lord. My girls becoming women who hope in God. But I tell you what I really, really, really can't wait to see. I can't wait to see the Lamb of God for sinners slain who is making all things new. I can't wait to behold the Son of God in the fullness of his beauty. Right? We will no longer have to look at him in his word because the word will be made flesh and he will be, be before us. He will be standing in our very presence and we will be made like him. You will be made like him. I will be made like him. Think about that. A day is coming when glorified Jared will stand next to glorified Becky and glorified Tony will stand next to glorified Alexis and glorified Matt will stand next to glorified Birhan in the city of God. Friends, are you looking forward to that day? Are you fixing your eyes on that day? All of our eyes on that day will be fixed on our glorious Savior, the one whom our hearts adore. That day is coming, and we need to fix our eyes on that day and let that day put into perspective all the days leading up to that day. I know how hard this life is for so many of you. You're struggling through estranged relationships or hard work situations or broken marriages or bodies that don't work or discouraging diagnoses or temptations to sin that always seem to be at hand, and you just want it to be all better. Paul says that our current experiences, as hard as they may be, are light and momentary afflictions that cannot compare with the glory that is gonna be revealed on that day. We have to take ourselves to that day mentally. We need to fix our minds on Jesus' return and recognize that the time between that day and this day is but a vapor, is but a mist, We will be in the presence of Christ before we know it. And then we'll see how all of the struggles, all of the heartache, all of the grief was being used by God for our good. And we will praise him forever for the specific circumstances that he allowed us to experience in this life. So now, in this moment, we join with believers throughout history, and we wait. We wait for the Lord to fulfill his promises. As early as Eden, God's people have been a people who have waited for him to fulfill his promises. And eventually, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And that same son, as he ascended into heaven, promised that he would return in the same way that he departed on the clouds of heaven. And now we wait, keeping our eyes fixed on the horizon, keeping our eyes fixed on the glorious resurrection of return of Jesus Christ. Friends, we're sojourning now, strangers and exiles. Some of us will stay, some of us will go, none of us are home, but one day we will be. And until that day comes, my charge to you is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. That brings us back to Florence Chadwick. Just three months after her first attempt, spurred on by the fact that she made it so close, Florence got back in the waters off the coast of California to try again. As with her previous attempt, thick fog settled in over her and Florence swam and swam and swam for hour upon hour, and she struggled with the same despair as in her first attempt, not knowing where she was in the journey because she couldn't see anything around her. But this time she persisted until finally, finally, the fog broke and land lay within her grasp, and Florence, this time, finished the race. When asked afterward what made the difference, Florence said, I kept my mind fixed on the sight of the shoreline. I knew that if I kept my mind fixed on the shoreline, I would get there. Friends, we can learn a lot from Florence today. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on his perfect righteousness, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, and his certain return. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus until we're all gathered together again in the heavenly city. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we pray that you would enable us with eyes of faith to behold the Son of God in all his glory and to keep our eyes fixed on him day in and day out until we're all gathered around your throne praising you forever, where our gaze will be fixed on you forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.